The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Focused, fixed, committed. Words that describe the attitude of our minds as we approach that day on our desk calendar that contains the boldest pinstrokes. It's the big day, the deadline, the celebration. The I'm done, or I've won, or we've only just begun. Athletes have trained for it. Businesses have planned for it. The bride and the groom can't wait for it. The college graduate has put in four to five years of long nights to achieve it. And all of us, we've experienced it. It's the narrowing of our focus month by month, week by week, day by day, until that final stroke of the minute hand. Some describe it as entering the zone, that that place where everything else is filtered out except that one thing that you've been preparing for. At that point, everything else is peripheral, secondary, and behind you. This is where we find Jesus. There's much for Him to do and only one way to achieve it. He knew that the cross awaited him. The most terrifying form of torture, humiliation, and prolonged death ever devised. But before he would be stapled to a post with three iron spikes, he'd have to carry his 100-pound crossbeam nearly 700 yards down the Via de la Rosa to Calvary. And before that journey could even begin, he'd be scourged by a team of Roman soldiers that were trained in torture, brandishing leather whips that were impregnated with bone and glass and iron and lead. They knew precisely how hard to swing and precisely where to strike to effectively separate skin and meat and bone. Before that, Humiliation, a crown of thorns, a purple robe, a mock sign, king of the Jews, fists, spit, and jeers. Before that, a Roman sentencing, and before that, a mock trial and a hand-wringing by the the Jewish ruling council. Before that, forsaken by friends. Before that, betrayed by a kiss. And before that, a night of anguish and prayer in a garden, wet with the dew of sweat and tears. The garden was Gethsemane. It meant olive press. Olives would give up their oil under the weight of a large stone pillar. But this night, it was not olives that were being pressed. It was the very heart of of Jesus, as the weight of the impending cross grew heavy. Let's pray. Father, this week, the Passion Week, so hard for us to wrap our minds around what took place nearly 2,000 years ago, to understand your passion and your love that was displayed for the whole world to see. Father, give us insight, 
Help us embrace your love and understand your love in a new way today. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Turn, if you would, or open, if you would, to Mark 14. And as you do, I just want to quickly introduce myself. Uh, I'm Shannon Sword. I'm the college and singles pastor here at TBC. And you've probably figured out that I'm not in my proper place. I get that. They've let me out of my two-dimensional world on the screens to have a little three-dimensional time with you in the Word today. And, uh, and I can tell you, I really have been looking forward to it, to the message that God has put on my heart to share with you. We're going to look at Mark 14, verses 32 through 42. Would you read with me? They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here and pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here. Keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him. Abba, meaning daddy. Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples. He found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. No doubt, commentary on what he was experiencing this very night in anguish and prayer in the garden. Once more he went away and he prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say. Returning a third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Heavy words, aren't they? My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Father, take this cup from me. While Jesus' friends sleep, He sweats, He anguishes, He prays. Why was Jesus' spirit in such despair? Where does the tension come from? What's this struggle really all about? Here's a question to ponder. Is it just the obvious stuff? Is it, is it all the things that, that everybody would look and go, yeah, that, that must be it? I mean, perhaps it was that Jesus kept pushing and pushing and pushing people and didn't even realize till now the hot water that he was in. Some see Jesus' death in this way. He kept saying all the right things to all the wrong people, never letting up. Finally, they had enough. And they had him arrested. They had him crucified. And Jesus had no choice in the matter. Some see Jesus' death in this way. Perhaps it was his awareness that this would be a night among nights that he would be forsaken. No doubt, he knew he'd be forsaken by Israel. He would be forsaken by the religious leaders. And I'm sure he was growing in his awareness that he would likely be forsaken by many of his friends. 
But I'm sure that what weighed heavy on Jesus' heart was the reality that he would be soon forsaken by his father. He would be abandoned as God poured out his wrath on him. Do you know what love is? Love is making the choice to do what's necessary for the benefit, for the, for the best interest of another person or people. Love is making the choice to do what is necessary for the best interest of another person or people. You see, Jesus' life was his to lay down. It was not any man's to take. He had a choice. He had a choice. It wasn't as if death was foisted upon him. It wasn't as if he was on death row, just waiting for the date of his execution to come. Jesus had a choice in this. Would he choose the journey of love that led to the cross? Or would he choose the path of safety and self-protection? You know what's scary about this? It's really scary about this? Is that we too face a similar choice. In Mark 8, he records for us Jesus' words when he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, he must take up his cross... And follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel, he'll save it. You know how some people will describe their cross in life? When they, something bad happens, they um, lose their job, their car breaks down, the plumbing backs up, and they say, well, you know, I guess it's just my cross to bear. And they kind of play the martyr and let everybody know about it on social media, Facebook and Twitter, and and they carry their cross, so to speak, very loudly, very boldly. Don't get me wrong. I I recognize that there are going to be many trials that we bear in this life. Jesus says that in this life you're going to have much trouble. We live in a world where light and darkness are battling. James gives commentary when he says in James 1 that we are going to have trials of many, many Kinds, But the trials have a purpose. They grow us. They mature us. They teach us confidence in God's good care. And a confidence that He's going to grace us to go through those trials. Scripturally, God calls us to walk through the trials of life with peace and confidence and courage in Him. These are not our trial. These are not our cross. As much as I want credit... For the trials I go through, for the difficulties in life, these are not my cross. My cross is my choice to sacrificially substitute myself in the place of someone else. To sacrificially substitute myself in the place of someone else. Our lives become an incarnation of the gospel through kindness and justice and patience, and helps, and love, pointing to God's mercy and forgiveness all the while. It's an intentional act of the will. Serving someone for doing for them what they couldn't, or maybe even could do, for themselves. It's generously sacrificing my wants and my needs for the good of another. 
It's sacrificing my time and my money. It's sacrificing my social standing, recognizing that when I begin to identify with those in need that God has called me to, there's probably going to be some questions by my, uh, my group of friends. So why are you hanging out with them? It's sacrificing my social standing. It's sacrificing my right to choose to maintain perfect control over my schedule. I like to have all my ducks in a row. This is a hard one. Really? You're going to interrupt my day? You're going to interrupt my life? When I have just enough time, it seems, to get done what needs to be done, Lord? Really? It's sacrificing my right to a a regular vacation, perhaps. Or maybe to an expensive daily latte or cappuccino. It's sacrificing my sleep. And hear this. It's not merely giving out of my excess. I'm good at that. I'm sure I'm just speaking to myself here. It's easier for me to give out of my excess and even to try to define my excess as my need because I've so lost sight of that so often. It's not simply giving out of my excess, but it requires a change in my preferred lifestyle. It's sacrificing my life however I need to in order to lovingly serve the people that God has called me to serve. This is what we mean here at TBC when we say personal surrender. This is the first and center of our core values. It's the epicenter, if you will. It's where it begins because this is the place where I say, I don't want to do this. This does not come natural to me. This is so counterintuitive for me to deny myself and take up my cross and sacrificially substitute myself for someone else to love the least of these, to care for those within the body who are really a challenge at times just to bear with. You've called me to these. Matter of fact, I will say this, that in the midst of my love and my service, what I find at times is really pretty ugly. When I serve folks, sometimes I realize I'm doing it to feel good about myself. Or sometimes I I serve folks so that they'll feel good about me. I'm a people pleaser. I can admit it. And sometimes, most sick of all, I serve people so that they'll be indebted to me. If I never sacrificially substitute myself in love for others, in service for others, then I'm without any, without any expectation of thanks, then I'm really not loving them. I'm just really networking, aren't I? Love will cost you your life. Love will cost you your life. To no longer simply live it in the way that you want to, the way that you prefer to, the way that you expect to. So what is your cross to bear? Have you asked your Heavenly Father for clarity Have you looked around you to see those people in need around you? Familiar people with very unfamiliar needs to you. Have you considered how you could serve them? What their unique burdens are, their unique wounds, their unique fears, their unique needs. And realize that as you hear their stories, that they're a lot like your own. It's amazing to find the common ground that begins to appear when we ask those questions. Serving is painful, isn't it? Serving is so hard. 
I shared this story, I shared it a, a, a number of years ago, but it so well illustrates the point. I uh, had had a particularly good morning with the Lord on this particular day. And it was one of those mornings where I, I kind of left my quiet time and I'm continuing in prayer, you know, continuing to commune with the Father and all is right in the world, right? Walking in peace and, and a confidence that God is with me in my life. And, I, and it was good because I had to go to Walmart that day. So I really needed to know this. And I pull into park in the parking lot and I needed to run in and get a couple things. And it was a particularly windy day. It was like yesterday. It was gusting 40, 50 mile an hour gusts. As I opened my truck door, it almost got away from me and nailed the car next to me. And I caught it. You know, good Christian. Felt good about that. Another thing to chalk up with God. Serve somebody that way. <laughs> and I get out of my truck and I realize that there are carts being blown all over the parking lot. There's shopping carts being blown. And I'm thinking, wow, Lord, this is a great opportunity. No one else will know this, but you will know how I'm going to serve people today. Feeling pretty good with myself, right? And I start making these flying leaps to save cars from the carts and putting them together. And I have several. And I'm making my way back to the cart caddy. And I hear a, a, a honk go off behind me. And I'm like, what? And I turn around while tootling to the caddy. And I realize the guy in a brand new silver Dodge pickup is, is stopped there. And, and I can just make out through the tinted windows that he's pointing at something. I'm like, what are you pointing at? Excuse me, I'm busy. You're talking to me? I'm serving God right now. Excuse me. And he's pointing at a cart that is making its way down the aisle, heading to his unscratched bumper. And I'm like, so, so you, you expect me to go get that cart? No, 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 you don't understand. I don't have the little Walmart smiley face on my jacket. You, you, I don't think you understand what's going on here. No, 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 I'm serving, right? And it hits me. I want to serve the people I want, when I want, how I want, for the duration I want, but don't you dare treat me like a servant. The second you treat me like a servant, I'm done. That hurts. Service is hard. But let me tell you another story. It takes place out of our high school ministry. Some of you may know Logan Merrick. Logan has autism. You've probably seen him around the church through the years. And, and, uh, and with autism comes some, some um, unique um, uh, behaviors. A lot of times as he's trying to focus and block out all the stimulus coming in, he puts his hands up in the air and folks go, what's that about? And, um, and there's some real challenges to life for somebody with autism. Well, there's another young man, Evan Smith, who had been in a class at the Outback a couple years earlier with him in junior high. And he hadn't seen Logan around anymore. So Evan comes to Susie, Logan's mom, and says, what's going on? Where is Logan at lately? And she says, well, he's actually had some sleep issues and uh, just, uh, frankly, probably needs an Outback buddy, you know, to help him get around. It's just getting more and more challenging. And Evan says, "Uh, well, I'd like to be that buddy. And she had no idea where this would go, had no idea whether, you know how it goes, passing thing, you know, it's cool for a couple of weeks and then they're done. This unfolded into a friendship, literally into a friendship, as Evan not only cared for him regularly at the Outback, but invited him to come out to eat with them 
afterwards to go shopping with him. Susie says that it was really uh, ministered to her heart to look at them and to recognize that Logan knew that Evan loved him and cared for him. And if you were to look at them, you would have assumed that Evan was actually Logan's friend, not just a caregiver in his life. Evan treated Logan with dignity and respect and friendship. One of the most endearing things she said was that um, one day Evan says, I raise pigs for FFA, Future Farmers of America, and I just wonder if Logan would like to come and help me raise my pig. And she said, well, I'm sure he would if you want him to do that. And as things would happen, somebody found out about Logan and they bought a pig for Logan for him to raise. So they both now were raising their pigs. But the day came, was approaching anyway, that they were going to be have to go into the ring at the Bell County Youth Fair and display their pigs. And to do so, Evan knew it was going to be quite the feat for Logan to handle. And so he literally set up a ring weeks prior elsewhere for Logan to begin to get acclimated to what was coming. Even invited one of the judges to come to that ring and to make the call so Logan would know what to expect. Not only did Logan's pig, <coughs> excuse me, pig, end up winning second place this year. But the judge who watched all this take place, as both of the boys are in the ring walking the pig, who says, you're supposed to have one kid and one animal. What's going on here? He was overwhelmed as he watched this display of kindness, friendship, and love. And this is what he says on his Facebook post. He says, after watching these two boys work together, emotions got the best of me. It was the most impacting experience that I've ever had. I don't talk to God as regularly as I should, but I prayed for the boys that night. This is what love looks like. This was Evan's cross, if you will, embraced boldly, confidently. He substituted himself in Logan's place to do the things that Logan could not do. He showed him dignity, he showed him patience, and he showed him genuine friendship. In the process, he has given Logan a fuller life. Right? Every time, every time we choose to sacrifice ourselves in the place of another because of the abundant life in Christ that we have, we're pointing them to our Savior. Unfortunately, these examples are not the norm in our lives. They're just not. There are so many that have been hurt by those, forsaken by those that were to care for them, that, were, that they should have been able to expect to love them. They've been hurt, they've been abandoned, some have been abused. And for the rest of their lives, it's so challenging to get over that pain and be able to reach out in an honest way way with others. But let me say this. Every single one of us, because of our selfishness and our self-centeredness, every single one of us have not received love loved the way we want to. The way we expect to. And sometimes the way we demand to. It just hasn't happened that way. And so we feel justified taking it out on those around us. And it comes out in angry outbursts, in barbed sarcasm, divisiveness, cold shoulders, on and on and on. It seems to go, there seems to be no end to the number of ways that we can toxically interact with one another. In truth, we have forsaken those 
that God, God has called us to love. And consequently, in the words of Scripture, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. And whether we realize it or not, we are crying out for a Savior. We need a Savior. Jesus understood this. That this was the desperate case, the desperate situation of humanity. This is what led him down this road. This is what led him to share so many of the words foreshadowing what was to come. He says in Mark 10, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And in John, he says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. You see, Jesus knew that apart from the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sins. There could be no forgiveness of sins. Tonight, He would become that long-awaited, spotless Lamb of God, sacrificed on a tree. But hear this. Every step that Jesus took, it was His life to lay down, not any man's to take. And therefore, tonight... His mind wrestled in the garden. And I'm sure that he thought back of that, at that time on the mountain when he had taken Peter, James, and John, and the veil that separates this reality from the greater reality was pulled back. And they saw His glory. They saw the glory of the one and only as He had with the Father before the world began. And all Peter said was, this is good, let's stay here. I'm going to make a tabernacle. I got it. I'm sure that Jesus thought, perhaps, Father, if that veil was pulled back and they could see my glory, then there might be another path. Or perhaps he thought, Father, just send a small brigade of your angelic army, just a small one. The entire Roman army would be no match. They would flee. Jesus' mind wrestled. In the midst of this familiar garden where Jesus had spent so much time teaching and training his disciples... This night, his mind was racked and it was tormented. His spirit and his human nature, they were at odds with one another because he understood that the journey to the cross would mean that the hour was coming when his father would forsake him. He would be alone. He would be isolated. He would be abandoned. He would be judged and condemned and hated. Our Savior's sovereign choice was love. His choice was love. This was the only, the only way. The demands of the law of the sin and death had to be met. They had to be satisfied. God's atoning sacrifice was His Son, Jesus. It says in 1 Timothy, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave Himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given at the proper time. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Let it come, Father. Let it come. I am prepared. It says in Hebrews 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus looked beyond His circumstances. He fixed His eyes on the joy that was assuredly His, and that became His resolve. The final tick of the minute hand 
was now in motion. The betrayer was coming. Jesus had prepared himself. His love for his father and for all of God's children would be his resolve. His father's love would be his strength. As we walk this final leg of the journey with Jesus, could I ask you to close your eyes? Jesus' mind is fixed on his father's love as it begins. The arrest mob. My, father, my father's love. The kiss from a friend. My father's love. The mock trial. My father's love. The Roman sentencing. My father's love. The scourging, the pain. My father's love. The journey to the hill of the skull. My father's love. Spikes driven deep. My father's love. Labored breaths. Broken moments of clarity. The sin of the world. Cries from the Son experiencing the wrath and the rejection of a just God and darkness. And then a cry of terror. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he cried out in a loud voice and he breathed his last. Look up here. One of the dangers, one of the dangers of our trying to understand the cross of Calvary is our propensity to watch from a distance, to see ourselves as innocent bystanders. Is it not? We don't see ourselves as guilty, but the truth is we are guilty, all of us, because we too have forsaken our love. We forsook our Savior. I've known the Lord for 30 years now, and I've thought through this because it's so hard for me to believe that I would say, crucify Him. Would I have been there? Would I have done that? But I tell you, now after 30 years of looking at my sin, recognizing its depth, its darkness, its deception, I would have said, crucify Him. I would have chosen safety and self-protection. Unlike my Savior, I would have chosen safety and self-protection. You see, there are no innocent bystanders in the murder of Jesus. Because, put simply, we loved, all of us, we loved other things more than we loved our Savior. We sacrificed Christ to our greed and our envy and our pleasures and our hatred and our ambitions. We were, all of us, standing there. We may try to wash away our responsibility, but the blood is still there on our hands. We have to see the cross as something that we have done. Otherwise, we can no longer claim any share in its grace. Years ago, when my son was little, he was probably four or five years old, and we had kind of a tradition like most households do of bedtime. And he, um, it was, we'd bathed and uh, got him dressed for bed and probably wrestled around some. Ended up laying in bed where we would talk and we would pray and we'd sing a song. And, and uh, in this particular night, he wanted to talk about um, Abraham and Isaac. Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac. He'd heard about it in Sunday school that morning. 
And, uh, and he said to me, Dad, they, they, had the, they had the wood and they had the fire, but they didn't have a sacrifice. Would, was Abraham really going to sacrifice his son? Would he have done it? Would he really have done it? And I said, Alec, I can tell you that because of the faithfulness God had shown Abraham and his family, yes, I think Abraham would have trusted the Lord. He would have obeyed him. But I think he knew this in his heart, that somehow, because of God's goodness and power and faithfulness, that somehow he would receive Isaac back to himself. And I said, and the reason, I'm sure you didn't understand all this, but the reason that God would ask Abraham to do this is because he knew that the day would come when he too would sacrifice his son on the altar of a tree. So Alec asked me, he said, so when, when, when Abraham did this, was he sad? I said, Alec, I'm sure he was. I'm sure that he cried. I'm sure he turned away his face. And then without missing a beat, he says, was God? I said, uh, yeah, I think he was. I think he was. Jesus went to the cross Jesus took our place, knowing that if we were called to take that cross, that we would not survive. He sacrificially substituted himself in our place. And the reality is, it's the greatest picture of love that the world will ever see. The greatest picture of love. Close your eyes with me one more time. If you are here and you recognize that there are those in your life that you have forsaken, whom you have harmed in one way or another, and there is distance between you, I would ask you to have the courage to go to them, write a letter, pick up the phone, or better yet, go to them in person and be reconciled to them. Don't just say, I'm sorry, but say, will you forgive me and be reconciled? And if you're here today and you say, I I don't know that I have really ever chosen to take up my cross, to deny myself and follow Jesus in this way, to sacrificially substitute myself in the place of others, I would just ask you to take this week, don't let it go by, take this week and consider what, who are those that God is calling you to love, to serve, to care for, and to begin to hear their stories, listen to them, talk to them, find out how it, you can walk a mile in their, in their shoes, and through Christ working in you, give them a fuller life. And perhaps you're here, and you have never come to that place of embracing the sacrifice, the only sacrifice that has been made, the only provision possible to give you eternal life is found on the cross in Christ Jesus. I pray that today you would make the decision to come and talk to me. I'll be down front if you'd like to to pray with me. I'd love to do that with you. To get that settled today, to know that you have made your decision to risk all of eternity on your confidence that Jesus is Truly God and truly Lord. As this video plays, I'm going to ask that if you need to do business, you come down while the video plays. If not, as it wraps up, 
You're dismissed. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Thank you.